Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, Blazers fans. Welcome welcome to the Blazer Focused Podcast slash videocast. I am Aaron Fentress, sports writer for the Oregonian, along with my main man, Joe Freeman. Say hi to the, to the people, Joe. Rip City, what's up? How, how are y'all doing? <laughs> hey, I, I want to just start right now. I'm going to interrupt you. Oh, okay. With, with I a should little, never with turn little, over the mic. With a little back, little back padding of the, uh, the prediction of the Blazers. Oh, God, okay, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Why you gotta jump the gun? That's 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 premature bat 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 packing. I can't even say it. Anyway, so on today's show, we're gonna have, of course, Joe Freeman bragging about how he was right and I was <laughs> ruh, 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 I, I was not quite as correct as he. Was. I knew you couldn't <laughs> say it. I, knew that it really I was never. It's not my fault. There was a locust swarm or something. Anyway, uh, we're gonna talk about the Blazers. As of late, three-game losing streak coming off of that six-game winning streak. What does it mean? Have they been exposed, or is it just much ado about nothing because McCollum and Nurkic are out? We'll talk about that. We're going to dive into, again, just because I want to talk about it because I find it fascinating, the whole all-star snubbing thing. I think I think those kind of things are entertaining. So I do want to talk about the uh, all-star situation. And then we're going to get into the second half of the schedule, which – is killer for the Blazers. The, Ten back-to-backs. Like, it's crazy how many good teams they play in the second half. It's going to be really tough for them. They need McCollum and Nurkic back. And then we'll close with, should the Blazers make a move? Do they need to do something to this roster to really have a strong chance to make a run in the playoffs? You always got to talk trade, talk scenarios, or it wouldn't be a podcast, right, in this day and age. So we're going to get to that. But what are we going to talk about first, Joe? Well, you brag you know, first? do you want to brag first? Go ahead. Let's get it no, out of the way. I've, I've already done. I just brought up the issue and I'll let everybody else <laughs> ruminate on it. That's all oh, that well, needs to be said. But let's remind people what it was. Okay. So they lost CJ and Nurk mm-hmm. and we did a video cast and we did a prediction based on 14 games. ended up being 12 because mm-hmm. Memphis had to back out of two games where they were postponed because of COVID. And we set the over under line originally at six and a half, adjusted to five and a half because of the two games that were, were off. And so what they end up going? I, I took the under, you took the over. What was their final record? I don't know, but I won I one million dollars. A it doesn't million matter. Dollars. It you was have the to over. at least know. Well, it was the over. That's all that I care about. I think they went I think they went seven and five. There was also a secondary uh a secondary bet, for the lack of a better word, on the uh how they fared in that long, brutal road trip back east. I said two and four. Yeah, and, and they took, went three and they went three and three. You took over two and a half, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. So really, so, that's 
That's two. That's two. I mean, I got there. You're, you're you're kicking my ass. What can I say? So now I have <laughs> no, to, but I have to come up with some some bets that I know I can't lose. <laughs> there you go. And I'll still find a way to win. But uh, you know, and that's that's a perfect segue into a Blazers team that that it continues to find a way to win mm-hmm. uh, despite all the injuries. And you know, we until lately talked, though. <laughs> well, and that's what I was going to say. We we certainly have focused, and much of the focus goes on them playing so long without CJ McCollum right. and Yusuf Nurkic. But you know, they missed a lot of other guys along the way: Robert Covington, DJJ, uh, so on and so forth. We could we could go on down. Of I mean, they played without Nasir Little for for weeks, so um, they navigated all that pretty well. Now now they have lost three in a row here, but and and I guess that kind of leads us to to the first thing that we had wanted to discuss was. You know, have the Blazers, you know, with tough matchups uh, against Phoenix and Denver after feasting on on weaker teams and succeeding, uh, you know, have they been exposed a little bit by by two of the better teams uh, in the West? Or, you know, is it kind of uh, still the, the jury's out because they are playing without without McCollum and, and Nurkic? Right. You know, when I started to write about this yesterday, Initially, I was thinking because coming into this stretch, I was like, "Okay, you can't play Orlando, Cleveland, and whoever else they play during that stretch every day." They did beat they beat Philly though. That was a legit big time mm-hmm. win, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they beat right twice. I'm talking about in the, in the six and L run. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming into this, I figured Phoenix and Denver were going to be tough. Plus, they were going to be on the road, and they're just way better teams. I mean, their defensive ratings or offensive ratings are way better than Orlando, Cleveland, and those teams except for Philadelphia. And you just figured it was going to be a tough matchup. So going into that, I was kind of predicting, yeah, this is going to be a different animal for them. But coming out of it, although it's easy to say they've been exposed or what have you, I thought I think that's unfair because what we're talking about is this particular roster as it is right now was exposed to reveal what we all should have believed was there in the first place because you're minus your second and third best player. And it doesn't mean that much moving forward because you're going to get those guys back. You see what I'm saying? So like, it's Mm -hmm. tough to judge this team. I think no matter how you shake it, how they have performed since both Nurkic and CJ have been out has been exceptional regardless of these last three games, because I didn't think they'd be above 500 during that stretch. You did because you're a guru and I'm you know, <laughs> a novice to this NBA thing. But I, I'm just impressed with where they sit right now heading into the end of the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of – my perspective is, is as I've said for the last month or, or whatever, however long it's been, is you just can't really judge this team with any fairness because they're right. missing two of their best three players. It's uh, It's not just – that they're two of their best three players. It's a guy who is playing at an all-star level mm-hmm. who takes so much pressure off of Damian Lillard. Uh, and then the other guy is the guy who anchors their defense and provides their best interior scoring threat. Well, alongside Cantor. So um, it's tough to say what this, what this team really is. I will say uh, that as this team is currently constructed without those two guys, then yes, it's going to be difficult for them to hang, you know, with the upper echelon teams in the West but I would argue that the success that they have had overall over the last month or so just reinforces, you know, kind of how I felt about this team heading into the season is that they are one of the best teams. They are going to be a threat by season's end. And the depth that they had was one of their best assets. And it's been that depth, obviously, that has helped them not just, you know, stay afloat during this stretch, but but succeed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Better than 
I think anybody expected. So I think what we have learned is they do have a lot of pieces like we expected and that uh, it's a pretty darn good team like we all believe. Now, it should make you feel hopeful, I would think, as a Blazer fan as they move forward that when they get CJ back, when they get Nurkic back, when they get a couple weeks after that to kind of, you know, gel back together and get their their footing, they're going to be a pretty pretty good team. I would be optimistic about our Blazers, Blazers fan. I'm with you. So they were eight and five the night that CJ went down, and they are eighteen and thirteen now. So they were they are ten and eight since then. They were ten and five heading into this three game stretch. Again, you lose your second and third best player, you go ten and eight. You can't complain about that. You, you just yeah. can't. And, and there's team, not a lot of teams in the league that can do that who have that kind of depth. Exactly. Now they did benefit. Schedule wise, I think that's a mm-hmm. given. Had they played Golden State, Clippers, Lakers, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. in that stretch, you know, they're, they're not going to have, they're not going to be today. I don't believe, I don't think they're good enough without CJ and Nurk to run through those teams like they did. But that 6 0 mm-hmm. stretch was nice. Orlando, uh, as I mentioned, Cleveland, and then you, you won three games on the road in the West against under 500 teams, Dallas, the Pelicans, and Oklahoma City. But I consider Dallas and the Pelicans not, I don't consider them under. 500 teams. As a matter of fact, Dallas is now 15 and 15. Like to me, those are good teams that were just struggling a bit. Those were good quality wins on the road. But what was funny is what Damian brought this up the other day. He said, look, we won a bunch of games, but it's not like we were dominating. They were close down to the wire games. And therefore, when you go into Phoenix, when you go into Denver and, and they're playing well and with the talent they have, you can expect you have to raise your level of play. And I think what they discovered is that they weren't quite ready on those two nights to really raise their level of play to that type of level. Damien was maybe, but not everybody. And they got spanked. They got killed one night and the other night was a good game until Jamal Murray got hot. But Damien came out of that basically saying, Hey, we learned a lot about where we truly are and what we need to do to continue winning. Yeah. And you know, you brought up Damien and how tired did he look, you know, at Phoenix and and just, just that back to back was brutal uh, for a team positioned where the Blazers are with, you know, the injuries that they do have. Um, But, you know, it's easy to look at a couple games here and there in in an NBA schedule. But when you look at the last month, I think that's the bigger takeaway is not just that they've struggled the last couple games. It's what they've been able to do to persevere, especially for a team um, that is going to need to bring it uh, and get healthy quick for the second half of the schedule, which which I know we'll get into to later in the in the show. All right, let's move on to the all-star madness. I know this was last week, but I still think Blazers fans are still upset about it. Uh, Damian Lillard not voted in as a starter. That honor went to Steph Curry and Luka Doncic. Curry was pretty much you know, going to run away with that thing anyway. So the battle was between uh, Doncic and Lillard. Clearly, Blazer fans not happy with how it turned out. Across the country, most people were saying that Lillard got robbed. Uh, I, I find this fascinating because I think – that what's missing in all of this is that it's not a matter of being robbed. Like, so let me ask you this, Joe. So, so before they lost three in a row, it was Lillard should have gotten it over Doncic. But since they lost three in a row, like if the voting ended today, would the would the uh, outrage be the same after these last few games? I mean, Luca just destroyed someone the other night, hit a game winning shot. Lillard and the, and the Blazers are struggling. So my point is, is that it's when the voting begins and when the voting ends that formulates people's opinion of this entire thing. And that it's not, he didn't get robbed. It's just the way things fell into place led to a situation where he peaked 
after the voting was pretty much done. <laughs> yeah, and well, a lot of that is you know a, a victim of timing or, or happenstance, 100%. and that and, and a shortened season. And that's always why, personally, I wait to turn in my ballot until the last day. I know a lot mm. of people turn theirs in early, but I want to see, you know, the largest body of work I can, so I can make, uh, in, in you know, the most informed decision. I had already made up my mind pretty much by then, uh, but I still think, even if it had come out, you know, today or or a couple of days ago, that it would still be a legitimate debate, and I think a lot of people would still feel like, but it wouldn't got- be as as fiery as it was a week ago. Well, because, depends on who you yeah. ask. I think locally it would be. Well, locally, I'm, ta- I'm talking about, yeah, locally. I mean, locally, of course, always. I'm yeah. talking about, the, you know, there was a national sentiment that Lillard got robbed. Mm-hmm. I would say if the voting ended today and it came out today, I don't think it would be as powerful as it was five days ago because they've lost Maybe. three in a row. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah but they're still 18 and 12 or whatever in the Mavs. 18 still, and 13. They went from and fourth to tied for fifth. fifth yeah. They're one game out of eighth. So, and so where's me, where's Dallas? Is Dallas ninth or tenth? Dallas is ninth at fifteen to fifteen, I think. Or yeah. Something like so that. I mean, you still look at the standings, and and I always remember, uh, you know, back talking about when Brandon, whether or not Brandon Roy would be an all star, or whether Dame would be an all star ahead of his, you know, first couple of bursts, or or even back to Lamarcus Aldridge, and I would often go around to opposing coaches just to say, hey, uh, you know, what factors do you? way when you do your voting because these guys were not going to be starters at then so it was like reserves and it was a pretty common theme uh and and nate mcmillan often talked about this that they factored winning into their equation and um you know like you said right now they're only separated by maybe three games at this point but for all the reasons we just talked about five ten minutes ago damien's season while similarly statistic wise to, to to luca is perhaps better because he's done it all without CJ, without Nurkic, while propelling the Blazers to fourth and fifth in the West. And now I don't I haven't paid right. that close attention to Doncic's situation. I know Dallas had a big COVID situation early in the season that set Porzingis them back. Missed so, part of the season, yeah. Right, yeah. But Dame's fourth in scoring. He's eight in assists. He's second in three pointers made in the NBA. He's the game's best player in the clutch. That. It take away any and all factors when you look at those things right there that is a resume for an nba all-star starter now really who cares he's gonna be an all-star <laughs> you know it's a fake uh exhibition game it's a popularity it, it, contest it's a popularity contest which i think was accurately reveal uh you know discussed on the tnt reveal when, when they talked about that Shaq and kenny smith and those guys brought that up and it's not just that we're here in sleepy Portland and all that. And that has, you know, often been a bone of contention for Dame's all-star chances over the years. But Luca has an international presence because he is an international player. Dallas is certainly a larger market. There's a, a larger global, uh, you know, look in on that scene. So naturally, popularity wise, he would have the edge on Dame. Now, I still think Dame is a very, very popular NBA player between his Adidas and his Gatorade and all of his endorsements and so on and so forth. I think the, you know, Dame time is something that's taken off nationally. So he still is right there, which was reflected in him being, you know, the third right behind Luca. Um, and he certainly has that respect nationally. I mean, I voted him number two, or I voted him one of two guards. Most of the media, most of the NBA players also selected him. In fact, he, he was selected a starter there. So that respect, I think, matters more, which kind of leads me. And that's kind of what he said, too. And that's what I was going to say is, 
what was most interesting to me about the whole situation was was how he reacted to the news because he just gave it a big yawn. He, he didn't seem to care at all. And it really makes me think about how far this has come because as this was going on, I couldn't help but think back five years ago to me going out for a coffee in the morning on the road in Atlanta and finding out from the league that Dame had not been named an all-star reserve just before shoot around and going to shoot around. And my man was hopping oh, yeah. mad. I remember like that. He, he was pissed <laughs> and he said he was pissed and he said he had been disrespected and, and that he was going to take it personal and take it out in the league. And <laughs> I just, I guess um, I think that shows how far he's come, yeah. how far the league has come on him and, and, you know, his, between his maturity factor and, and just, I think he knows that he's respected now. He knows his place in the league. That's solidified. And so something like this, it, it doesn't matter. And it's, it's not like we're now debating, did Dame get snubbed from an all-star appearance? It's now, did Dame get snubbed from an all-star starting appearance? And that's right. a, big, a big difference. Right. And that hinges mostly on the fans. And so what I did, and I doubt you read it because you would probably look at it and go, Fentress being Fentress. I skimmed it. It was very long. I did I looked, check it out, though. I, I wanted to look at the voting process to try and explain, really. Like My point was to explain to fans he didn't get screwed as much as it just was bad timing with everything. Because here's the deal. Say what you want about the two players. I know everyone in Portland loves Lillard. But last year, if we're going to talk about winning, like you said, Doncic had the better season. He had the better season statistically, and his team won. He came And this- he was named a starter. Yeah, but I'm, no, I'm talking about coming. I'm talking about how the last season ended. Yeah, and he was a starter. But how the last season ended, he had the better season statistically. His team won. He came into this season with MVP buzz. And he's one of the young darlings of the NBA, right? There's just no doubt. So coming into the season, you knew that when they started voting, he was going to take a lead over Damian. Like you had to have known that. Now, when they started voting, it was February 28th. At that time, the Blazers were only nine and eight. Like they weren't that great. And post CJ going down, they were one and three. So the narrative of him leading the team without CJ and Nurkic hadn't begun yet. So the first results come out on February 4th. Between the voting starting in the 4th, he got a, that magical win over the Bulls, right? Then they got blown out by Milwaukee. They beat the Sorry Wizards, who were 4-13. and 13, And then they beat the Sixers without him, okay? Mm-hmm. So that none of that is going to make people go, oh, my God, I'm going to vote for Damian Lillard. So the first results come out. And Doncic has an almost 400,000-vote lead. And Stotts said himself the other day that one thing that was different about this than in the past when coaches didn't pick Lillard is that this you could see coming from the get-go. And he mentioned himself, once Lillard was down by that far, you kind of knew he wasn't going to come back. So the stuff he did next almost didn't matter. Now, the next few, now then after that Philly win, they go and they lose to the Knicks. So right, no one's running around going, oh, my God, I got to vote for Damian Lillard over Doncic. Then they beat Orlando, which was minus his four best players. So that whole stretch right there is, is meaningless for Lillard, really. And then the run starts that matters. Philly, Cleveland, the magical stuff at Dallas, Oklahoma City, et cetera. But the problem is that all happened during the final week of voting when he was already down even almost 500,000 votes because the previous two weeks weren't that great. There was no way you're going to make up that kind of votes in one week as you're, as you're rolling. So the problem is the voting is going on as the narrative is being written. So it wasn't as much as he got robbed as it was that the process lends itself to such early voting that what you do late in the process 
basically becomes worthless. Yes, a lot of that's true. I would also say that the da- Dallas's record was far, far worse than the Blazers at that point, too. They they dug themselves a, a huge early hole, and they have only surged lately. My counter to all that is it wouldn't have mattered what Dame did, and it wouldn't have mattered what Doncic did. That's not going to change the vote from Slovenia, and it's not going to change the vote from the European fans voting. It's not going to change... Fans, fans vote however they want based on who they like, what their favorite, who their favorite 100%. player is. They, they don't, they don't dive. Now that's just generalizing for the most part, fans don't dive into the analytics or the stats. They say, I want to see X, Y, Z in the game. I'm going to vote for X, Y, Z. Kobe was getting, you know, starting nods late into his career when he didn't deserve it when there were better younger players, but he was Kobe. Right. That will be the same with LeBron at the end of his career and so on and so forth. So when it comes to the fan vote, it's how it's always been. It's how it will always be because the fans, th- that's how they choose to vote. And they can vote by whatever criteria they want. Now, the that's product, right. the, the thing now is it has been leveled out some based on the media who is you like to think is informed and coaches or and players who obviously uh, – you know, intimately know the best players. So it's leveled it to the point where Dame earned a tie. I was naive to not understand that there was a tiebreaker and how all that worked until the last second when it's like, oh, as soon as he came on uh, and said, there's been a tie, you're like, mm, I bet that involved Dame. And, They're going to have a shootout. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a good idea. Make one of the guys earn it. But I will say this again. Who cares? It's an all-star game. It's an <laughs> exhibition game. So if the fans, the game is for the fans, they've okay. always had, you know, before two, three years ago, media and players didn't factor into it all. It was exclusively a fan vote. So the game is for the fans. They're going to pick who they want. As long as Dame makes the all-star game, I think that ultimately is all that, is all that matters. Yeah. And I, just one quick note. He began 37% through a vote. And then the last two counts, he was only 17%. So there was a shift toward him a little bit, but never enough to catch up. The, the other thing that irritates me fundamentally, and this isn't from you know a perspective that I carry the way emotionally, I just hate this kind of stuff fundamentally, is that Lillard, you talked about him being snubbed early on. And I had, I had some issues with the word snub. The snub means someone knew you should have got it, but they dissed you. That's what a snub is. You, you sound like the league. Cut. You sound like the league texting but, me after headlines that we've written. Yeah, because it's, it's the truth. It's not a snub. He was a young guard in a conference with Curry, Clay Thompson, Harden, Westbrook, and Chris Paul. Like that's a tough group to break in. But what sucks right now is that Paul's thirty-five, right? Westbrook and Harden are now in the East. Clay Thompson's out for the year again. It's mm-hmm. his turn to start. And now you have this young superstar guard who comes in and steals some of his thunder. To me, that's the problem that I have. Forget how the voting process goes. It's that now he's behind a guy eight years younger than him after mm-hmm. paying his dues and letting guys clear out so he could be the guy and start. Yeah, and again, popularity contest, A, and B, um, he made the all-star game, and that's all that really matters. And I mean, you say that, but he he handled it well, but I think there's a part of him that does care. Oh, I think – oh, no question. It's an honor to be voted to uh, an all-star game in general. It is a next-level honor to be 
one of 10 humans starting in that game. There's no question. And, you know, there's only been a handful of guys in, in franchise history to start it. I think it was like six, he would have been the sixth guy, you know, joining the Bill Waltons of the world and the, and the Clyde Drexlers of the world. So the, the upper, upper, upper echelon of, of guys in franchise history. Um, I just lost my train of thought. So I don't know what I was. Oh, and when you get to that point, it's, it's, it's nitpicking. Yes. And so, you know, it's, it's, you, I named, you know, Dame's uh, statistical accomplishments. If I were to go to Lucas and look at his, he's right there. I mean, he's a triple double machine. He's right there in scoring right better in assists. So he is an incredible player. He's a dynamic player. He is among the most enjoyable to watch in the league. Usually when he plays, it's must-see TV. We saw him beat the, I think it was the Celtics the other night, the buzzer beater yeah. against whoever it was. It was, I mean, he's incredible. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is at, at this stage. Um, I guess, you know, the other debate about just the teams in general, you know, Devin Booker's not an all-star. Mike Conley's not an all-star. Chris Middleton's not an all-star. Starting or not, they're not in the game. And so Booker's you know, a, the, uh, Booker got in as a replacement for Davis, or I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, you're but right. He wasn't, you're right. But he wasn't selected, yeah. Correct, originally. So it's yeah. like, you know, should the all-star rosters be expanded two or, or three slots? Yeah, I agree, but... You know, because then there's going to be people getting snubbed at that. Yeah, and then people too. make well, well. Also, and then people make the All Star game and don't play that much. Like, unless you're going to make it a 60 minute game, you still only have 40 minutes, 48 minutes yeah. per position to dole out. If you add more players, it just dilutes it. So, and not only that, but it, it factors in bonuses and and money for contracts and stuff. Yeah. So you, that goes to another whole level. You are listening to the Blazer Focus podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. I think we've exhausted our, our we have. discussion. We'll move <laughs> on to a little schedule talk. Uh, schedule was released, uh, was it yesterday or day before? Yesterday. Yesterday. So uh, we finally uh, see the long-awaited uh, second-half schedule. For those who, who don't know, the NBA only released uh, a schedule before the All-Star break as kind of a, a buffer to see how things reacted to the coronavirus uh, pandemic, to see you know, how many cancellations there would be to set in, you know, a little bit of room, a wiggle room for them to adjust as needed to kind of go on the fly. So they have now released that, uh, the schedule in its entirety. And uh, it's a doozy. Ten back-to-backs for the Blazers, <laughs> Jazz, They had Clippers, seven in the Phoenix, first half. Yeah, so it's, it's going uh, to be no joke. Uh, now, I will say, you know, as someone who covered the lockout-shortened season, about 10 years ago, they played back to back to back. So you want to talk mm. about craziness. That was crazy. But that said, it is, it is, uh, it is a schedule that is loaded with back to backs loaded against really, really good teams, which, which is a little bit of a, a difference from the first half of the schedule. But I, I guess just Aaron, what, what were your thoughts when you first saw the, 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 the second half schedule? Well, the back to backs were striking, um, but they had, you know, you're, you're trying to condense things and you're adding the post, the two postponed games in there. The Memphis games have to fit in there somewhere. They play Memphis three times in the second half, so that that's going to take away some days off. Um, obviously, which you know expands the number of back to backs. But what we knew was coming was that the teams you only played once in the West, you were going to play twice in the second half. So they only played Utah once, the Clippers once, Phoenix once, Denver once, San Antonio once. That's five teams all battling for the playoffs. You only played Dallas once. That's another. They're out right now, but they're going to be in this mix. The Pelicans as well. Only once you're playing those seventeen. Excuse me, those seven teams 
14 times in the second half. And now, they so, hadn't even – they didn't play Brooklyn at all in the first Right, half. I was going to say, yeah. as far as the East, you didn't play Miami at all. They're starting to come back a little bit. They made the finals last year, and you didn't play Brooklyn at all. So that's that's a wicked schedule, man. Like, no matter how you shake it, mm-hmm. that's going to be – to go back to, I guess, fast times at Ridgemont, Hard, Ridgemont High, gnarly uh, for these guys to handle. And to me, I kind of feel like they're going to get CJ and Nurkic back, and that's going to make them better as a team. But because you're going to play a much tougher schedule, that their record in the second half, for hopefully for their sake, is similar to what it was in the first half. And I think that if they end up that way, let's say they, you know, finish twenty and uh, fifteen. If you finish, you know, forty and thirty-two, forty-one and thirty-one, that might be the best you can ask for. What do you think? Well, you know, looking at the actual schedule, the nuts and bolts, there's a couple things I had taken away from it. Uh, looking at the actual schedule. They have a pretty easy start coming out of the break. So that'll help them kind of get acclimated. And, why, and you dis- why are you dissing the Timberwolves like that? Well, it's not hard to do. <laughs> they just changed their coach, Aaron. <laughs> but that's after Phoenix, though. But Phoenix is here. So yeah. So uh, that's one thing. That, that helps them buffer in. Uh, and there is just an absolute brutal final month and a brutal final couple of weeks. You've got yes. down the stretch run. I mean, we're looking at uh, – at Charlotte, Clippers, Denver, Memphis three times in six days. You got at Brooklyn, at Indiana, at Boston. And then the last couple of weeks, two, three weeks, Lakers, Spurs, Rockets, at Utah, at Phoenix, Denver. Ugh. Just absolutely murderous. Brutal. Now, brutal. that's looking at the actual schedule. But my biggest takeaway is the Blazers are fortunate because they have missed their last, their two best two of their best three players for virtually, you know, more than half of the first half of the schedule. They had an easier first half schedule, which they desperately needed to navigate those injuries. They would not be in the position they're in now if their first half schedule was as difficult as their second half schedule. So just as they're starting to get these guys back, and by the time they kind of get, you know, their sea legs under them and work in is when that schedule will, will, you know, tense up. And so they're fortunate that they will be healthy to face it because reverse that this team could be looking at a little bit of trouble. And so you got to look at things from a holistic perspective and it laid out really nicely for this team considering the injuries and everything. So, you know, it's brutal. It's going to be brutal and you're going to have to earn it, whatever spot they get, but it could be a lot worse because again, if that closing stretch that they have of this season was their, you know, looking back that's to six game, January. Six, yeah. Well, just when they won the six in a row, had, sure. it, had those games been against that group of teams, they probably go one and five. Yeah, you're looking at twelve and seventeen or something like now. So right. you know, look look at it on the whole, I guess. So along those lines, though, I would still be concerned about which Nurkic they're going to get back mm-hmm. back because he was, you know, he admitted he wasn't in shape to start the season. He had a really nice game or right before the Indiana game. Everyone was getting torched, but right before the Sacramento game, he had a nice game. He and Lillard went off. Um, and so maybe he was starting to turn the corner and then he breaks his wrist. I assume he's been, you know, he can move still. So I assume he's doing what he needs to do cardio wise to stay in shape, but they need him to be 2019 Nurk. They can't just have him come back and be what he's been this season, which has been pretty average. Um, otherwise it's not going to matter that they got him back. Or even Nurkic. bubble bubble Nurkic, you know, you bubble Nurkic would be nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's and weird because like he's only been himself 
in the, since spring of 2019, he's been himself for the bubble, and that's it. Yeah, and, you know, he admitted he came back out of shape. Right. Blazers didn't have their hands on him. He was in Bosnia, and he was dealing with a lot of family, you know, personal Correct. issues. And so that didn't lead him motivation-wise and emotion-wise to to be able to to do the necessary training he needed. And so he at least has been around the team now. And we're talking about, you know, his his wrist and his hand. We're not talking about any type of lower injury or leg and lower body injury or leg injury. So he should be in good shape, you know, not basketball playing shape, but he should be as good a shape as he's been in all season. By the time he comes back, then it'll just be about, you know, chemistry wise with so many new players, because as we talked about so often, you know, early in the season, that was part of the trouble too, was him and these guys getting so many new players together without a training camp or without practices. So there will be, even when he, he and CJ come back a little bit of an adjustment there, but as long as he is, you know, above average Nurkic, he doesn't have to be superstar Nurkic. He does so much for this team in so many ways that you're going to see, uh, you're going to see it and feel it. And, and he'll pass the eye test, especially on defense, because he's the single most important yeah, defensive player on. for this team. Yeah. And so, you know, we look at what Dame's done. If Dame, this gives you 75, 80% of what he's been doing. You get CJ back, you get Nurkic back, everybody else, the pressure falls just a little bit more off everybody else. And then you see this team and what it, what it potentially could become. So um, it'll take a little bit of time, but I, man, this team is in a good spot. I really believe that despite, despite all they've, they've kind of all the obstacles they've, they've navigated. Yeah. On a 538 sports, which is an analytics site, Nurkic's defensive rating is a plus seven. Which is now for comparison's sake, Cantor, his is minus three point nine. <laughs> so you're talking about an eleven point difference from Cantor to Nurkic as far as just his defensive presence. Now offensively, Nurkic was playing at a minus four one, but in the past he was always a plus guy on defense on offense, mm-hmm. and that's what they need to get him back to that. And then he'll be the potent, uh, you know, dual threat that they've had in the past. Just for for just a note on this. Damian Lillard's defense, minus 4.5. It's the worst on the team other than Cantor, Nasir, and Anthony. I wonder if that is going to hurt him for MVP. Anyway, so, yeah, Nurkic would be huge <laughs> uh, to get him back and, and for just for his defense, if anything. Just stand there and just do this. <laughs> You're going to be better on defense. All right. I for, those, for those listening and not watching, Ventress <laughs> was waving his arms and hands about. In the post, yeah. I'm, pro- post. I'm, rim, I'm rim protecting. Thank you. And if he's rim protecting like that, the Blazers are going to be in trouble. <laughs> Wait, that wasn't how you do it. You don't wave your hands no, from side to side. No, is that? No, okay. I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, it works. It works on Nerf hoop against my kids when they were young. Anyway, um, okay, let's move on to the next thing here. We talked about the fact that two guys are coming back, which you know, in a lot of ways, it's almost like making a trade without trading anybody or signing two free agents because you've been playing well without them. And then you're going to get back a 27, a night score and CJ, who was an all on an all-star pace. You're getting back a legitimate big time plus defender and Nurkic. That's going to be huge, but that's also going to shove some guys down the rung a little bit who've been playing well. Should Neil Olshay go out and take some of these extra pieces and parts and try to make a deal to upgrade the roster, maybe at the middle or the top of the rotation. Uh, I don't see that happening. I, I he'll, he'll do his due <laughs> diligence, no question. Um, but I, 
You know, first of all, this team doesn't have a ton of trade capital right now. They traded away uh, their draft pick, obviously, to get uh, Robert. Is it Robert Covington? Yes, it is. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So they traded away that to get him. Uh, and you know, you can't you can't trade back to back picks in, in the NBA draft. So there there's some constraints there. Zach Collins is a guy that they're super high on, but but and you can't really trade a guy who's been hurt for for two years, even if you wanted to. He's he's one of their quote unquote you know trade trade chips. And so if you're looking for that next level guy or, or that second rung guy, you're going to have to give something up to get something back. Right. So, uh, you know, Simons. so that's, so that's, you make <laughs> that Trent. decision internally. Right. So do you want to give up Gary Trent? Do you want to give up Anthony Simons or Zach Collins? And that's an organizational decision. Uh, and, and I don't know what they're thinking is on that, but I would be surprised based on where they, how the roster is constructed and how little they've been able to evaluate their full roster, you know, whether, whether they'd be prepared to do that. Now, maybe they can make a lower level move to pick somebody up off the waivers. Uh, there's a guy we looking at his photo right here is, is a, a possible, uh, well, his, his name's DeMarcus Cousins. Oh, DeMarcus, I'm, what's up? I'm guessing that you're <laughs> going to want to talk about that. Um, so, and I'm not saying they should or shouldn't, but I'm saying if it's something like that, that fits in there, you know, a guy who can help them, uh, who can not impact them going into the luxury tax because it's quite clear that is a decision that is weighing heavily on this franchise. They're not eager to do that right now. They don't want to get into the repeater tax and all that sort of stuff. And I think organizationally, they believe they are talented enough, and certainly their depth has has proven useful, that they they can make some noise. I mean, as the roster was constructed, it was constructed to to navigate this tough season with a lot of games in a short window to buoy their defense. The jury's still out on that, of course. Um, and then to, to situate them better uh, for the playoffs. So uh, you got to give something up to get something back. If you're talking about that, you know, top or second, second top tier or second tier level, but maybe they could go find uh, a lower uh, you know, level deal to make. Yeah. Um, what do you, what do you think? You think they should do something? I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it comes down to what's available. It's one thing to say they should do something. It's another mm-hmm. thing to have something available to go do. I think if you can upgrade, if you, if you can make any kind of deal that you feel makes you better, obviously you would do it. But I'm with you on the fact that that's going to be hard to pull off. And you don't want to overpay for something you think makes you a little bit better right now. And then a year later, you regret that you gave up whatever you gave up while you were overpaying, whether it be Trent or Simons or what have you. So I Personally, I don't believe anything is going to happen. I don't think there's going to be a combination of one, something available that they would want, and two, that the people, the team that's trying to trade whatever that is Portland might want is going to be willing to take what Portland's, Portland's willing to give up, especially, like you said, you can't trade uh, another draft pick. So I, I don't think anything's, anything's going to happen. Now, Cousins' name's out there because he's going to be released by Houston or already has been released by Houston, um, but I don't see how he fits in the, with this team at all. Like I just don't, you know, with Nurkis, if Nurkis wasn't, if he was out for the season, I could see doing it. But with Nurkis coming back, and they love Cantor clearly, Cousins as the number three center. Like I don't even think Cousins would want to come to Portland to be the number three center. So when he, when he could go to another team like Brooklyn or the Lakers and maybe be the number two guy there, so I don't think that's going to happen. I think honestly, the roster they have right now is going to be the roster they have the rest of the season. If they had all the injuries that they were having, they never even brought in the guy, you know, on 10 day contract. Like, I don't think they're eager to disrupt the group they have. And and they could get Collins back too. And there's another guy who might come back in May, who knows? So I, I think they're set. And also, you know, 
making some kind of lower level move uh, really sort of, you know, throws water in the face of some of these younger guys and, and not into the bench guys, but second, third run guys on the team who have right. been playing pretty well, you yeah. know, who have, who have helped this team get to where they are 18 and 13 now, uh, surprisingly, because for everything that Dame has done, and I know you wrote about this for everything Dame has done individually, and he's been exceptional. He's had a lot of help from a lot of different guys who have, who have played pretty well, you know, over the last month or so. I mean, we've seen Nasir Little play better uh, than anyone expected. Anthony Simons has had solid stretches. Gary Trent Jr. has reinforced his, you know, his place in the rotation. Um, you know, mellow is mellow. And so, you know, you look at the totality of the Blazers roster and there are a lot of good pieces. It would have to be someone that helps push them to that next level that right. you acquire. And as you said, you don't know if that guy's available and how that fits in the roster. And, and so organizationally, the Blazers have tended to be, uh, you know, an organization that, that rewards their player development, that believes in their player development department and, um, you know, kind of stands by their guys, but they will, they have been opportunistic and they will pounce when the timing is right. I just think the timing was right in the, in the off season. They got DJJ, they got Robert Covington, they, they got Ennis Cantor, they added guys that they felt would get them to where they want to be. Then they haven't been able to, to see them at full strength because of injuries. So, right. you know, if they still believe in the roster as it, you know, if they had it two months ago, then it's kind of hard to say why would they, you know, see why they would abandon it now. Right. It would, to me, it would have to be someone who was going to start. Someone who was going to start at the four or the three who was better than Jones and Covington, and he was going to be an impact starter at that spot. And then that would entice me to maybe give up one of the guards because you're, you're guard heavy right now. You have four, you have a mega star, a star, a really good scoring third guy in Trent, and then a very talented young guy who's showing you a glimpse of what he's capable of doing. Like, but you can't find minutes for all those guys. So I would consider it if I could swap one of those two young guys and get myself a legitimate forward. But, you know, I'm looking at, the NBA, I'm looking at the teams that are out of it. I mean, let's just say fantasy-wise, this, this would never happen. But let's say the Pelicans were going to retool, start over, and they were going to get rid of Brandon Ingram. They didn't want to pay Brandon Ingram. That's the kind of guy like where you say, okay, what do you want? <laughs> Besides David CJ, what do you want to give us Brandon Ingram? Because if you're, if you're starting him at the three or the four, you're a completely different team with Damon, CJ, and Nurk, right? But if, it's, but if it's like Blake Griffin, no. I mean, obviously that doesn't do you any good. I just don't see anything – any of these teams who are out of it, so to speak, that, that have anything that would move the needle for the Blazers. And that to me is the only position where you would go after anyone to try and change your roster. So, yeah. And, and the Blazers forwards have been playing, you know, after kind of an up and down, you know, introduction, they've been playing a lot better lately. And, and, you know, you see Derek Jones Jr. On defense, he's finally starting to kind of get his comfort zone in the scheme and alongside the players that they have right now. I think he's, probably eased back on some of his, the pressure that he's put on himself. Um, Cause I think you come in with this, you, Hey, we're, we're, we've signed you for defense and there's all this talk about defense and we added uh, Rocco and we added you and um, you know, and you're a starter for the first time and right. It's a lot on a $10 million dollars and yeah. Yeah. And so there's an adjustment there. It, it's a natural adjustment for, yeah. for most players and we're seeing him ease, you know, ease in there. And finally Rocco starting to hit shots more consistently. He had that, 
super cold Until stretch. he was 0 for 7, but yeah, he wasn't. He was yeah, on yeah, fire yeah. for a while, then he came yeah. back. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, right. he's finding his place. And, and that is one thing with Stott's flow <coughs> offense is, you know, you have to be ready to shoot at all times, and you're encouraged to shoot early in the clock. And whenever you think you're open, it sounds great, but you you have to get in the mindset of of finding out how to get the shots that are comfortable for you within you know that framework and that mindset. And so that takes a little adjustment for some guys too. I remember Gerald Henderson struggling with that for at least two months until right around the trade deadline, and he started to find his footing. Um, with that too. And so even if you're a veteran and he was certainly a veteran, then it, it new system in a system like this, it does, it does take a little while sometimes. So a long winded way to say, I like the Blazers forwards. I like their fit. You know, when, when things finally, the pieces get together, I, I haven't changed my outlook on this team from two months ago because they've played uh, exceeded expectations with all these injured guys. You know, it's. Right. Uh, I'm. I'm glad we haven't talked extensively about defense because I'm tired of hearing about it right now or talking about it. So that will be something to monitor when everybody comes back, and we'll look at things in another month or so. Right. Um, you mentioned the, the shooting. You know, at will when you feel open. I, I can just imagine Stotts telling the team we're going to shoot more threes this year. If you got an open look, taking it, and Gary Trent saying, "Shoot, you ain't got to tell me twice." <laughs> I mean, he's Never got the quickest trigger. He's got the quickest trigger I think I've ever seen since. Well, I shouldn't say ever. Jamal Crawford had a really quick trigger. Um, there's plenty of guys in NBA history, obviously. But, man, if that guy, if he can just see the rim, it's going up. <laughs> he doesn't care. And you know what? If you're shooting 45% from three over, over the last, I think, I think for the season, he might be 42, but there was a stretch there. He was shooting like 45. since. Oh, since uh, CJ went out, he was on like a 10-game stretch. He shot 45%. Yeah, fire it up there. One more thing before we go, though. So this came up, and I forgot about it, so I'm going to add a topic. You always uh, add a curveball in the end. You try to get me in trouble. I try this to. Is, this I is try- the Get Freeman in Trouble segment. <laughs> this is when I start actually- getting text messages and tweet. Right? Okay, go ahead. Let's do it this. Probably is, let, me, let me take a shot of my whiskey real quick. <laughs> Okay, so this came up. Lillard was asked. I think Jason, our boy Jason Quick, asked about uh, greatest Blazer of all time. Um, and this comes up, it seems like, every year with him. I have mixed feelings on it, but I want to hear what you think first. Is he the greatest Blazer of all time, or is he just simply headed in that direction? Uh, he's, uh, he's right on the cusp, and he will be. There, there you know – I've long said that there are certain benchmarks you need to make before you can, you can achieve that. And, right. you know, there's debate right now about whether that's Bill Walton or Clyde Drexler. I personally think it's Clyde Drexler. Um, and, then, and then Dame is, is there. I mean, a guy who's been this loyal uh, to a franchise who has played this exceptionally well um, at an era of, of just all-time talent in the NBA, yes, he is right there. And I believe, you know, within a year or two, he will cement his his status there. Obviously, the one thing missing from his resume, it's when compared to Clyde, isn't just uh, you know forget the NBA championship. It's getting to a finals. Clyde obviously did that multiple times, so um, you know that will that will factor into things too. But by the time Dame's tenure in Portland is over, he'll own the most All Star appearances. He'll own assist, you know, scoring records. He's got a ways to get to TP on assists, but He'll own so many records that it will be uh, almost indisputable, except for maybe the older crowd that still maintains because Walton won uh, a championship that that he is is the best blazer of all time. Right. So, you know, uh, personally, yes, I, I think if he's not there now, he will definitely be there uh, by the time he's done. 
So this is one of those things where it really comes down to what your criteria is, which you kind of touched on. Like what what do you dis, what do you use to measure this? Now, for me, there's a huge difference between the greatest based on longevity and stats and all star appearances, et cetera, et cetera, versus who actually was the very best player. Because you can mm-hmm. be the very best player for one year, and then someone else could be better longer, but never be as good as you were in that one year. And I would maintain that to me, the best player to ever play for the Blazers is Bill Walton, because Bill Walton was a legitimate franchise changing number one big man who defeated Kareem and the Lakers and Dr. J and the Sixers in the finals to win a championship. Had he not gotten injured, right? He puts together an insane resume, right? I mean, would you agree that if he played 12 years with the Blazers, Drexler and Dane would never touch him. Like, that's how I look at it. But Well, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But he got injured. So then you can say, okay, well, but he only gave you four years. So how do you how do you measure someone who gave you four years versus someone like Lillard who's already in his ninth year, right? And mm-hmm. and, 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 and is doing things he's doing statistically and all NBA, et cetera, et cetera, but isn't giving you a championship yet. Like that's that's the problem for me. Is like how do you gauge that? And then Drex was right in the middle. And that he has he's played longer, obviously, because he's just his career is over and Lillard's still going. But he was an eight-time All-Star. He finished second in the MVP voting one year. He was the number one guy on a team that went to the finals twice, could have gone three times, and only didn't win a championship because of the Bad Boy Pistons, Magic Johnson, and and Michael Jordan. So, mm-hmm. you know, to me, Dame, does he, does he need to at least get to a finals to be in the discussion? Or do we just go strictly on he was loyal and put up a bunch of numbers? Yeah, uh, and that's why it's a subjective debate, too, right. and it's everybody attacks it from their own perspective. It's hard for me, and Bill Walton is one of the all-time players in, in basketball, from college to the NBA and so on, and there's no question he gotten, if he wouldn't have been hurt, you know, that he, and if he had stayed as long as he did, you know, as long as Dame's been in Portland, if he had been here that long and he hadn't been hurt, I think it's safe to say he would be revered in that, in that regard. My yeah. man won an, an NBA MVP, and he won... Uh, an NBA championship. So right. those are all two before, things. all before 26. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's those damn feet and it sucks that, that we aren't able to evaluate him, you know, with more years here, but it's hard to say a person who only played here four or five years is, will be remembered as the best in franchise history because their impact was so short. And, and while his was monumental, it was still brief. The impact that Damon's had now is, is stretching nine years. And, you know, he, he, from an individual perspective, uh, at a time of, uh, and it's also tough to compare the leagues. I mean, Walton didn't play in an era of super team, you know, where guys were forming super teams across the league. And so it, it and it's a different game and different, you know, uh, emphasis on the league. And, um, so there's just a whole variety of things that, that go into that. Also, Dame's not done. It's hard to evaluate his case. He's still playing and yeah. he still has many years left. And so Walton's done. Drexler's done, you know, so, so you can see their, their resumes are out there for us to evaluate. Dames is to be continued. And for him to be at this stage, m- many feel has already eclipsed that. I think says that he, at some point, uh, even if you don't think he will, he, he will probably change your mind when it's all said, said and done. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating discussion just because of all the different layers and different ways you can look at it. You know, to me, like, th- they'll be the three best 
you know, and then people can just hash out which one they think was the greatest. I think if I think if if Lillard were to win a championship, and then you factor in the longevity and the statistical performances, then I think it's a wrap, right? I think mm-hmm. you can say that if he only gets to the finals, I still think it's you know it gives him a you know a boost, but it's still a conversation. If he never makes the finals, never wins an MVP, then then it's just a matter of how you want to quantify it. Which, yeah. Whichever whichever angle you want to take, you can make the argument for someone being the best. Therefore, they'll all three be tied. <laughs> That's the cop out. They're all tied. They're all the greatest in their own special way. Yes. Okay. Anything else? Are we wrapping? I think we're good, we're good, man. All right. Let's let's just give a quick prediction to end the half. You got Lakers. You got Charlotte, who which has been playing a lot better. They are a playoff team right now. Lamelo Ball is the truth, dude. Fun to, um, fun to watch them too, and big uh, Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Hayward. That signing was lambasted in the offseason. Not by me. I was well, all for that signing. I, I kept tell, I kept telling people like you can't judge him based on what he did in Boston. He was the third guy. He's going to be a, a high end guy on this team. He's he's still legit. He's killing it. So also, two, two two years removed from his his catastrophic injury too. Yeah. You know, you got time for that. But that yeah, they're they're one of the more enjoyable teams to watch, right up there with Memphis. I, I enjoy watching Memphis too. But anyway, go ahead. And then you got the Warriors, who have been playing really well as well. They're 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 back in it. They're only a game and a half behind the Blazers, I think, right now. And then you close with oh my god, I just changed my screen. Sacramento, the mighty king. So four games remaining. How many are they gonna win? You know, I'll go. Uh, I'll say they go two and two. I'm with you on yeah. that. I'll, you know, I, you know what? I think they're going to beat the Lakers, dude. The Lakers are reeling right now. See, here's the thing about that, though. Because they're reeling, and because they have lost four in a row, it, it you'd never want to go into a team's building under that. It sounds weird. You no, I hear what you're go, saying. They're you due. They're go pissed. To a good team <laughs> with an MVP who's. Now the people are, you know, questioning that. So it's oh, I know. <laughs> it's, it's not an ideal environment in, in a weird way for the Blazers right, yeah. to be facing them. So uh, I'm not just going to give them that game, but I like them to win two of their last three to, to go at least two and two. Okay. I'm going to go on a limb since, since I downplayed them before and was wrong. Mm. I'm going to reverse mm. it on you and call you the hater mm. and say mm. they're going to win three of the next four, including mm. being the Lakers. They're going to beat the Lakers and come home and win two or three. Yeah, I could see him winning three or four, uh, but it wouldn't be against the Lakers. It would probably be against the, the Warriors. But the Warriors are playing tough, man. They've got yeah, they've yeah. got Curry and Wiseman back now. Um, they And they get after it on defense, which you yep. never thought you'd really say uh, in today's era. So, uh, all right, I got them at 500. You got them at uh, three and one. So three and one. Yeah, what am I thinking? Anyway, all right, we're done. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. Have a good day.